If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. You guys in the Christmas spirit yet? Because I'm getting there. I'm, I'm getting there. I know I'm wearing gray on the outside, but it's all color on the insides. Can we just say Merry Christmas to the, your neighbor? But, but you got to say it. You got you to say it like George Bailey. Merry Christmas. Can you see that? No. I lost you. I'm sorry. Okay. But nothing says, nothing says Christmas uh, like a good Christmas meme. Anybody up for a good Christmas meme? Little, it's going to be a little tip for the parents uh, something, it's an oldie but a goodie. It's something I saw last year that I, I took all of it. I'm going to show you today. Okay, here it is. Christmas tip. Wrap empty boxes for presents, and when your child misbehaves, just go ahead and throw one into the fire, all right? So, now, manipulative, maybe. Effective, absolutely. My kids are absolute angels this time of year because of that. Uh, if, you're, if you're new with us, yes, I am the real pastor, and... Uh, I'm, I'm offended that you even had to ask. And, uh, but the other thing too, that is a joke. Okay. So we're, we're, <laughs> we're going to move on here. Uh, here is real. I, I was asked a question, uh, a question was posed to me a couple weeks ago, uh, that I found fascinating. I'm kind of attracted to this kind of thinking anyway, but it was such a helpful question. I thought I'd start it out with today. Here it is. Uh, what would you like people at the end of your life to line up and thank you for? Why don't you just take a second to think about that. What would you like people at the end of your life to line up and thank you for? For me to answer this question, I think about what people have done for me. So that that helps me and like what, you know, that helps me think about how I want people to thank me. And there's a lot of people I have to thank. I'm so privileged in my life that there's a lot of people who've really made a, a huge positive impact on my life. But if I had to boil it down to like an event or like one thing someone did that had such a, a massive ripple effect, uh, actually, it was the invitation that I got to Jubilee Church back in 1998. This church was started not by me, but by someone else in 1997. I was a college student at the University of Missouri, not going to any church. And in my roommate in Columbia, um, Noah was moving back to St. Louis uh, for a job and he said, you should, go, you should go check out my dad's church. So I didn't, know, he didn't, I didn't go to church. Uh, his dad went to the church. I was like, you know what? I, I know his dad and I know him. And so I, when I came to St. Louis, I went and I, and I checked out his church. And, and I heard a message I hadn't heard before. And it, it impacted my life. And uh, people who were once strangers now were becoming family to me. And I discovered a purpose for my life and began to engage in serving and begin to have an impact on my life. And then 
A few years later, as you can suspect, that I became the, I was asked to, to lead the church, became the pastor of the church in 2005. So if I've had any impact on your life, um, you, you can actually thank the guy who invited me here because if that hadn't happened, this, none of this would have happened. Not only that, I met my wife here at Jubilee Church, so that worked out really well for her. And so we, <clears throat> and, and my kids, yeah, I'm a real peach. And so we, uh, we and, so, and so I just think about, man, it would have been so easy it would have been so easy for, for, them, for him not to invite me. In fact, it was just, wasn't even a good invitation. It was just kind of, hey, you should check this out. And, you know, we went back and watched TV. It, you know what I mean? It wasn't like, here are four reasons why you should. It was just, hey, you should come. You should go check out my dad's church. And, and so I came. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you know the power of an invitation. Because you were invited here. And, and maybe you didn't come on the first time or the second time. But maybe it was like the fifth or the sixth time. And you were unsure. But you came in. And you were engaged by a very... A welcoming atmosphere. You would say maybe like a non-judgy atmosphere and, and people were nice to you and, you know, and you liked the band, you liked the, you liked the music and, and, the, and the, you know, the J kids, like your kids really loved it and they wanted to come back or maybe you liked the meme, I don't know. And so you, you, you got into that and, and then you came back and, and somewhere along the way, the message that we preach impacted your life and you're glad that you came. And I just have to say, I'm glad that you came and we're, we, the, the power of invitation is real. And I, I bring this all up because we want to have a culture, an environment of invitation. Not just because, you know, we just, yeah, that sounds cool, but like because Jesus, <laughs> he, he was an inviter. He was always inviting people to come do what he was doing. And, you know, the world began because of an invitation. It didn't start with an act of power. It started with an act of love. It was God, the love of God spilling out into creation, inviting them into uh, the community that the God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit we're enjoying. And so we, he, he's an inviting God. And what we, the, the, the text that we read this morning was actually the first invitation that was given uh, once Jesus was born. And just to kind of get our heads around the scene here, it was commonplace uh, in, the, in the first century that you, uh, when your firstborn son, when you gave birth to your firstborn son, that you would hire a herald uh, to go announce that your firstborn son has been born. And, you know, just like now, economics drove a lot. And so if you, if you didn't have much money, you didn't have much of a herald. But if you had a lot of money, you know, you went large, like you, you know, maybe you did something uh, spectacular. Uh, well, as you can know, Joseph and, and Mary, they, did, they, were, they were flat broke teenagers. And they, they didn't have any money to hire a, a herald. And, and, and maybe, maybe you can relate to that. Maybe, you, because, you know, like, you know, People today, like when your their kids are born, you know, the, you you they they come up, you know, they Instagram, they they you know they have these really glossy pictures, and you get these photos, and then your kids find the photos, and they're like, why don't we have a picture like this of us? Like I don't, and because we don't love you, and so no, because we, we no because they, you just begin to feel insecure, you know, and it's like so if you feel insecure about how you boast about your kids on Instagram or or in the, the glossy photos, you can relate to Joseph America because they had no money for no herald, but God, God heralds his firstborn son like you think he would herald his firstborn. I mean, he went large, like, you know, like you see these guys, you know, maybe like a, you know, will you marry me? You know, the, he like broke open the sky with, you know, a bunch of angels and they sing glory to God in the highest. And they, they sing and they sing, they fill out, they, they sing the praise of his glorious name. But what's interesting to me, and this is where I want to park today, is the lowly context in which Christ was born. But even more than that, 
the lowly context which God made his appeal to the hope of the world because the only character in this, the only characters in this story that make sense are the angels, right? I mean, if we're talking about the, you know, the savior of the world, the one who's gonna heal our broken hearts, who's gonna push back darkness, who's gonna get rid of death and disease and, and all that, the angels make sense, right? So if this is like the hope of the world, the angels make a lot of sense, but what doesn't make a lot of sense are Joseph and Mary, you know, two broke teenagers. Uh, the shepherds really don't make a lot of sense. They were, they were nomads in this period. They were almost universally known as thieves, uh, men with terrible reputations, men who had not been trusted, constantly being pulled out of TSA lines to be rechecked and rechecked and rechecked uh, again and again. They were not respected. They were despised. They were outcast in society, but yet these are the ones that God chose. And I've known, you know, commercials over the years have made this whole scene a little plastic, right? Like, you know, the nativity scenes and the commercials and it's just, oh, holy night. And, and, but imagine being these shepherds. I mean, you're at like the bottom of society. Nobody thinks you're up to any good. And all of a sudden, you know, God shows up in the sky. You know, you're back behind a rock with a meth pipe and like counting all the things you stole from the town over there. And God shows up on the scene. You're going to be a little frightened, right? Like this is like, you know, if, you, if you're at the bottom of society and you're up to no good and deity comes into the sky, that's why the angels like, fear not. I've got some good news to share to you. And, and that's what he does. So the, the, you know, they, the, 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 sh- uh, the angels show up. They're in great fear. They're not expecting it. And so God shows up good news. And you know, they're, you know, they're like, wow, what happens here? The sky explodes to the, hear this group of thieves, these social outcasts. And the angel says, good news. I've got good news of great joy. And this is for all people, not just some kind of people, Gentiles and the Jews, the Romans, the Samaritans, um, the barbarians, the Scythians, the slaves, the free, the, the Africans. Uh, this isn't just for liberals. It's also for conservatives. It's for everyone. This is for all people. Good news for all people. It's even for the shepherds, the very bottom, the scum of the earth. And when you think about it, nobody, nobody, no matter if you're a government, if you're um, a business or even a church, no one goes to the bottom of society to, to like assemble their team, right? Like even like, uh, like, like if we needed help, if we needed somewhat help with our finance, like we would not, if you got an F in math, you're not qualified, right? Like we're not gonna hire you to, to oversee our finances if you got an F in math. You don't want the, bo- you don't want the worst, you want the best, right? So if, you, if, you're, if you're in charge of hiring at your work or you're involved in the process, you're looking for the person who's most like the qualifications, not like the least qualified, but yet, but yet, but yet, the message was heralded first to not the top of society, but the bottom. Mary and Joseph broke teenagers and then thieves. And here's why. And this is, this is going to encourage us as we talk more this morning. Is God brings glory to himself by being the power, the authority, and the presence by which all things happen but when God calls, when he rescues, when he redeems, when he calls people to himself, he does that through those of us who are the most weak and the most broken. So God will be glorified. This is what Paul has to say to the second letter to the Corinthians. He says, but we have this treasure. The treasure is the message. 
in jars of clay, weak, fragile jars of clay. We have this great message. The message is everything. The messenger doesn't matter to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. He is awesome. We are fragile. He is not. We are transient. He is not. We are weak. He is not. We get hungry. He does not. He gets, we get thirsty. He does not. We go tired. He does not. We grow uh, impatient. We grow impatient. He does not. So even you're thinking like, man, I just got done yelling at my kids. You know, like I just woke up this morning, like what the heck, you know, like you're thinking, man, I'm, you're talking to everyone but me. And he comes to the shepherds. He comes to those who everybody in society wants to stuff out, who, who's not a part, who's not belonging. He comes to them. He says, I want you. I want you to be, I want you to hear the message first. And I want you to be the very first person to go and tell of my good news. It's amazing. And that's what God does. It's almost like it's him. It's him. It's almost like if you, if you're, if you've got too much going on for you, you're disqualified. Like there's this time in the, in the, the, the Bible, if you're not familiar with the Bible, this guy named Gideon, he's a, a leader in the Old Testament. And if you don't know about Gideon, Gideon uh, was considered the least in his entire family, his entire clan. And his clan was actually considered the least in all of Israel. So he, was, he wasn't just not the best of the best. But he was like the least of the least. He was the worst of the worst. And so God comes to him and is like, hey, you're my man. I want you. I'm going to use you to defeat the, arm, to defeat the armies of Israel. And so he comes to Gideon, who's the, the worst of the worst, the least of the least. He says, you know what? I think you have a fighting chance. We got to get rid of some people. And so he just gets rid, okay, get rid of those group, get rid of that group, get rid of that group. Symbol down, it's whittled down to maybe 10,000, something like that. And he's like, you know what? If everything kind of falls just right, I think you still may have a chance. And so he goes back even further, all the way down to 300 men with like, like a candle and a, you know, like, a, like it's all they got as a weapon. And they go up against several hundred thousand and they defeat the enemies of God. Because God wants to use us, shepherds, fragile jars of clay, the messenger to communicate this great message. So back to the story that when this announcement is made, the, angel dis- you know, the angels disappear, the clouds go dark, and you got to believe the shepherds are like, what in the world just happened? And someone's like, you know what, we'll just go check it out. So they go check it out, and you got to think like they're just knocking on doors because they don't know where to go. And, and I'm sure they're getting yelled at. I'm get out of my house, you know, get out of my town. And things get thrown at them, but they don't care. They go, they go, they go. And they finally find this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, this Christ child, and they worship. And then they leave there and they go and they herald the good news. The first evangelist in the Bible are thieves who have been given the good news in the midst of their thievery. That's what the scripture says, that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us and he wants to come and he wants to change and he wants to move and he wants to use us for his goodness. Likewise, you and I fill these roles of shepherds, sinners saved by grace, now in our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our families to herald the good news of Jesus. That is great joy for all people, the magi and the shepherds. So what I wanna do is just practically, how can we be heralds? Because we've got a great opportunity. We've got a great opportunity uh, next Sunday, two services, 9-11, that we can uh, invite people to. You know, every week's a good week to invite, but our, you know, our culture just, 
you know, I don't know if it's sentiment or sentimentality or what, but they just seem to be prone to uh, coming on, on Christmas, and we have a great opportunity. So one of the things that we can do, the first thing we can do, we can invite our friends and family. We can invite our friends and family. Now, I, I, know, I know some people, like, freak out about evangelism. Like, if you're new to us, like, I know people freak out. I mean, there's this joke, like, there's, two thing, there's one thing that the devil uh, and Christians have in common is that they both hate evangelism, right? So I get that. I get that. Um, so, in, so if you come to something called Growth Track, we actually spend a lot of time talking about how you can share your faith. Because <laughs> people are like, I don't want to be weird about it. You know, if, like, well, don't be weird. Like, don't, you don't, there's, there's nothing that says that you have to be weird. So we do this thing called Bless. It actually centers around just being hospitable with the people that you know. It's, it's about having dinner. And guess what, guess what you do when you have people over for dinner? You have dinner. Like, you don't, like, when they walk through the door, like, throw oil at them or holy water or something. Like, you don't, you don't have to do anything weird. Like, you just have them over for dinner. You get to know them. You talk to them. And, uh, you know, you engage them at the right time. You invite them into your story. Now, and so I know, too, that even in that, like, the pushback can be like, well, you know, what if they ask me a question I can't answer? Right? Like, you know, what if they ask me about dinosaurs or, like, science or something? Like, what if they ask me about some, you know, religion that I don't know or something about the Old Testament? And we, come, we become paralyzed in our faith because we don't feel like we know enough. How many would say, I know this is, a, how many say that's me? Like I just, I sometimes get afraid about what I know, like I don't have all the answers. How many here would be so bold as to say that? Great, yeah, so let's, keep your hand up, keep your hand up, sorry. Just look around, just look at all these people here. They don't feel like, let me encourage you, I'm gonna encourage you guys. There is a place for apologetics, there is a place to argue the accuracy of scripture and those kinds of things. But those things only remove hurdles. They don't save souls. Besides, besides, people don't lean into true news hoping it's good. They lean into good news and hoping it's true. Think about like a first impression. Um, we make tons and tons of decisions based upon first impressions first impressions. And if you're not a salesperson or don't believe me, go watch Brain Games, all right? Like they'll tell you how powerful first impressions are. So let me ask you a question. When we're wanting to make a good, when we're wanting to make a first impression, do we want to make a, a true first impression or a good first impression? We want a good one. Now, just because it's good doesn't mean it's true. But here's the point, my only point actually. We, we, lean in, we lean into things that are good. We don't lean into things that are true. Like if I was told you, hey, broccoli's good for your health. I don't care. But if I was to say, hey, processed sugar will increase your lifespan, you're leaning into that. Really, it's called clickbait, right? Like you click that one. You'll want to know what's going on there because we lean in to what is good. Not, not necessarily what's true and because what breaks my heart is that we have a generation of people who've decided that the message of Jesus is not good without ever discovering if it's not true. Like, they don't even know if it's true or not true. They just know it's not good. And it's not their fault. If that's you, that's not your fault because, you know, you were raised by, bumped into, went to school with someone who told you or communicated a version of Christianity. You saw the fruit of that, and you're like, if that's what it means to be a Christian, I'm out. Like, I... I, you know, I don't care if it's true. It's not good. It seems dangerous. It's not good. And so as Christians, we think that we have to prove it's true 
And if it's true, they'll know it's good, but that's not how our brain works and that's not how it was first heralded. Behold, I give you good news. I give you good news. I've got some good things. And because it was good news, people leaned in. People were wanting to know. People were asking questions. They were pressing in. Let me show you a couple small examples. Jesus says this, the law and the prophets, the law and the prophets, just basically the Old Testament. Back then, the Old Testament wasn't old yet, okay? It was just, the, it was the Jewish Bible. And when it says the law and the prophets, this means basically the Old Testament. The Old Testament, oh, excuse me, the, the law and the prophets were until John. So John basically being the time of Jesus. Since then, that was then, this is now. So people were, th- th- this was not good news, the law and the prophets, because it was only good news to one group of people and actually called the Jews. And it was only good if you were a good Jew, if you weren't, it wasn't good news. The law and the, that's why the shepherds were scared. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God, this new order, this new way of living, where there is no death, disease, war, hate, values of the kingdom, healing. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone is leaning in. They're forcing their way. I got to hear this good news. I mean, even like Luke, how, the reason why he wrote the, the gospel of Luke, the reason why I have the story, um, it's in Luke 1, 1 through 4, is because he had this friend Theopolis who was leaning in, who saw this news as being good and wanted to know, is it true? He didn't say, hey, this is true. Is it good? It's like, is it, it's good. I want to know it's true. This is what he says. He says, in so much as many have under... So he's saying, hey, look, there's, there's been a lot of... There's a lot of people out there who are pressing into this story to see if it's true because they know that it's good. Now, let me just pause right there for a second. To, to have a story written about you in this period was very rare because it was very expensive and very diff- difficult, not a lot of literacy. See, in our time period right now, like anybody can write a story about anyone. Like if I really wanted to, I could write a story about anyone in this room. You could write a story about me. You could go and, and, and uh, you know, get all the facts about me. You can interview people. You get a lot of, it'd be super easy for you to do it. You can publish it on your own, little cost, not a big deal. But let me ask you a question. And I'm not trying to be rude. I'm really just, I'm really not. Sometimes I am, but this time I'm not really. Okay, how many, how many people are there who are writing a story about your life? The answer is not many. When anyone could. But in this period, when, when it was very expensive, very there were actually many people. You know why? Because it was good news and they wanted to see if it was true. And so he writes this. He says, I'm gonna write you that you may have certainty so that you do know it's true. So people were leaning in, hoping it was true. And he writes this to say, hey, you can believe with certainty that it is true because I'm going to give you an orderly account. So when it comes to sharing our faith, I say all to say this, when it comes to sharing our faith, we should focus on why it is good and the fact that it's true will take care of itself. When I talk to people who have the best results as it relates to sharing their faith or you know, being inviting, um, they'll, they'll, they'll say that it revolves around people who have a, who are either, either new, they're either newly saved, like they just became a Christian, like they're really good. So, um, or they're like really excited. They have a fresh uh, experience of God's goodness. So 80% of all conversions 
uh, last year happened in churches less than two years old where everyone's new and everyone is excited. Not so much places or people who have the most Bible knowledge. By the way, not being negative about Bible knowledge at all. That's not my point. My point is saying like what really matters is does it feel, is it, does it, is it good news to you and do, are you sharing it as good news? And so people who have a lot of success will say, how do you do it? I'll, they'll just say, with, they'll say it with a smile on their face. I just tell them they need to come and see for themselves. That's actually what the disciples did. Uh, there's this guy named Philip who was trying to invite his friend named Nathaniel. And he says, we have found him. We found the one. You should come check this out. I mean, the kids' ministry is awesome. The music's great. The one that the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, you should come check this out. And guess what Nathaniel says to him? Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He's kind of like that question. We're like, well, what about the dinosaurs? Like, what about the Old Testament? Like, what about this... And Philip's like, I don't know. Like, I'm not a historian. Maybe nothing good can come out of it. That's probably a really good question. Here's what I gotta say to you. Just come and see. Just come and see. Come and see. We don't, we don't have to give them all the answers. We just say, hey, you know what? You just gotta come and see for yourself. This will help. In Hebrews 12, this is why. This is what Christianity is. Jesus, he's the author and finisher of our faith. In other words, he's the beginning and the end. He's the alpha and the omega. In other words, Christianity begins and ends with Jesus. Not all these other things. Christianity begins and ends with Jesus. I don't know many people, actually, who look at the life of Jesus and say, that's not good. They may say, that's really good. I don't know that it's true. They don't say that that's not good. But we have a whole generation of people who look at Christians and say Jesus is not good. So we have to get back to, hey, just come and see for yourself. I don't have all the answers. Come to. So invite your friends and family. Secondly, invite, your, here's a, invite strangers this week. This is a great time to invite strangers. And how do you, who do you, what strangers do you invite? Because I know it could be awkward and strange and weird and all that. Three knots. They're not in church. They're not, not going well, not prepared for. Hey, you should come to my church next week. I'm, I'm not a church person. Hey, you should, you should come check it out. You know, hey, you know, Brian, I just got to tell you like, man, things just aren't going well. Hey, yes, I'm sorry to hear that. You should come to my church. You know, I'm new to this city. I, I'm not really, I wasn't really prepared for this kind of move in my life. Oh, you know what? Man, that's tough. You should come to my church. Brian, are you saying that coming to Jubilee is the answer for everything? Let me ask you this. What is the gospel not the answer for? Anytime you hear that, just say, hey, you know, you could be in a restaurant, like in one of those booths. You can hear someone talking about set. You know, just get on your knees, turn over, and look, hey, you should come to my church. Just bend over there. You should come to my church. Just like those shepherds went door to door, probably had tomatoes thrown at them. Hey, is it good? Is it good? So here's what we got to do. Here's what's important. This is how we're going to end. The band's going to come here very shortly. Is that uh, the biggest thing that trips us us is that we forget that it is good news. It's, we're so busy, you know, doing all. It's so f- interesting how the season where it's, most, it's supposed to be the most about Jesus 
actually, we get distracted really easy. I, I, I tend to focus, I like the focusing on the word in this passage, behold. We don't use that word very much, very royal, behold. Like, we don't use that word. But what that word means, it means to really look at something. Like, have you ever talked to someone and, uh, you, you know, you're having a conversation, they're looking at you, but they're not really looking at you. They're off in space somewhere. You're like, yeah, every time I talk to you, Brian, that's, no, I'm just kidding. The, uh, you, there, so, but the behold is to really look at. It's to really like, mm, I'm, we're gonna, I'm gonna really take the time to pay attention and, and really look at Jesus and, and what he's done. Because Jesus really wants to, he, he wants to uh, show himself. He wants to express himself. How many here would say you're a hugger? Like you, raise your hand, like you're, you're a hugger. Come on, be proud. Okay, beware of these people. I'm just um, <laughs> how many here would say, okay, I'm a non-hugger? You're, you're a non-hugger. You're, here we go. Some of you guys are married. Some of you are huggers married to non-huggers. I'm noticing that. That's, how, okay, huggers, raise your hand again. So like, have you ever tried, have you ever tried to hug a non-hugger? I mean, it's like you, a hugger trying to hug a non I mean, it's just kind of, they're just like, you know, thank you. You know, thank you very much. Or it's just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is my space here. There's, 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 I, I, don't wanna, I don't want you in my space. Or they'll hug you and they'll hug you like that. I mean, a little tap. I mean, they're just like trying to do everything they can to like, and they, you know, they have like these go-go gadget arms that just reach out there to tap your back. Um, I think a lot of times um, for us, we act like non-huggers and when Jesus comes in to connect with us. He's a hugger. He wants to love us. He wants to be in our space. He wants to save us and heal us and fix us. But we, we are, there's something in us that's nervous about him coming a little too close. Partly because maybe we're embarrassed about our lives. You know, you just rolled it, you yelled at your kid this morning, you did something last night and you just feel like, oh, you know, I'll come, I'll come do my religious thing. Jesus, so nice to see you today. <laughs> when Jesus is like, man, I want a hug. So here's how we're going to end. We're going to end by in worship and we're not going to just have a, a mental ascent to a few songs. But we, we want to allow Jesus to embrace us because he's, he's here. He, he's been here all, he'll probably talk to me about some of those jokes I said, like you shouldn't have said that. Like I, I'm, he'll, he'll have that conversation with me. He's here. He's, he's right here right now. And he wants to hug you. See, see the Bible in, in Psalm 34 says this. It says, it says that we can do this. We, we can taste and see that the Lord is good. We can experience him. God wants to wrap his arms around you this morning. Sinner and saint, close and far away, he wants to grab a hold of you. And we're gonna do that. And because if we do that, what's gonna happen, we're gonna be like the guys in Acts that says we cannot stop speaking about what we've seen and heard because of the goodness of God in my life. When we stand